when I stopped worrying or relying on what people thought about me as a speaker and just began to rely on what God thought of me. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of When Women Preach. This podcast is meant to empower AAPI and Latina women who are looking to gain advice and also inspiration and stories about preaching specifically, but obviously that goes into the larger aspects of ministry. And today I am so excited because we have Adelita Garza. Um, So Adelita is the lead pastor of both the Spanish and English congregations at Puente de Vida, which is a Spanish-speaking, and Bridge Church, the English-speaking congregation, in Santa Paula, California. And she is an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. All right, so we'll just jump right into what I wanted to ask about Adelita today. Um, first of all, could you just tell us how God called you to church plant um, Puente de Vida and Bridge Church? I know that's a running theme um, among some of the other guests we've had, and each of them have had a very different story about why. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering why start a church when that is in depth itself a very daunting task? <laughs> well, let me begin by saying, Miriam, it's just really great to be here on this podcast. And one I have heard about and have actually um, listened to some of the podcasts, and it is Thank exciting you. to be able to hear the voice of, of different women who are sharing their story. Um, I, uh, my story, how did I choose to, to church plant or how did God call me to church plant? Well, I think like most say they didn't know to start, <laughs> we'd probably yes. freak out and say, uh, not me, God, but I'm thankful. <laughs> I, I'm thankful because over a journey of 10 to 12 years, I would say is, uh, when I knew that I knew that I knew it was confirmed in my heart, uh, that I was to, that I was to do this. I felt a call to ministry, full-time ministry, when I was 16 years wow. old. And so it was at a, at a at a pretty young age. I'm at a mm-hmm. mission at camp. It's a girls program with the Assemblies of God. And, and, you know, they give the altar call and I go up. And at that point, honestly, I would have never considered even going into ministry. Um, I was a shy girl. And so, but... There was just a sense, you know, when you're at the altar and you just sense that the spirit of God is strong on you. And so I knew at that moment. And so everything changed for me. I had done well in school, um, came from an immigrant family, was going to go and uh, prepare myself to make some good money to get out of working in the fields. And uh, but I just knew that this is what God was calling me to. And I think in opposition as well from some of my school teachers uh, who were just believing that I was going to get this great education in um, computer science. And that was my heart at the time. But it just really, it, it took a huge shift. And so at that point, my heart was to become more of a, a minister of evangelism. I travel the world. And it was the most craziest thing as a young girl, because I'm timid, I'm shy. I don't have this natural gift of charisma, and yet there was this deep desire uh, to preach, preach the gospel, bring people to know Jesus. So I went to Bethany Bible College, and I received uh, a degree there in church leadership. And it is from there, I actually started working in a church as a minister of evangelism. 
And so that was part of my heart. I've always been drawn to see people come to know Christ. And so was there at that church for, for about four or five years. And through a series of circumstances, I moved to Ventura County, and that's where I started attending Fuller Theological Seminary. And it was as a student at Fuller, I came on staff as an associate pastor at Ventura First Assembly. And so during these two um, positions as associate pastor, one of the things that I just began to see God just deposit in my heart was the desire to work with the Latino community and Ventura First Assembly was a primarily Anglo community. I would say about 95%. I was an intentional hire to make that church more of a multicultural uh, church. And so we started working with an underprivileged Latino community about a few miles from that area. And I think that is when church planting became, I think God just began to open my eyes in wanting to do more for the Latino community in in a way that served that specific community. And so about four years into being an associate pastor at Ventura First Assembly, I I was at a crossroads. And I was asked by the lead pastor who I'm so grateful for. And I always make sure to, to just give so much gratitude to Tony Cervero, a man of God who believed in me as a woman pastor. And, um, and so he, um, he invited me to be the executive pastor at his church at that time. I had graduated from Fuller. Uh, the pay was going to be great. I was like, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> not something you hear yeah. all the time. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. At the same time, I was considering a PhD program mm. and church planting. And so I had these three options and I struggled, uh, with, uh, God, what what is your will for me now? Uh, the executive pastor position seemed more of a natural position to take. It uh, it gave financial security, and I thought, hmm, that seems like an easy yes. Mm. A PhD, it was something people had always encouraged me to do, and so I was tossing all three of them and saying, God, what do you have? And and I remember the day that I had gone to Princeton Theological Seminary and applied for a PhD scholarship. And God had spoken to me really early. That would be a completely different, powerful story. But God had prophetically spoken into my life at the age of 18 when I first left my large family in Washington to move to California. God had said, you you have a difficulty believing that I will provide. But my hand of provision will be over your life. And throughout all of my education, God just supernaturally provided and I owed nothing for my schooling. And so I'd seen that that's how God had spoken, at least to my life, in giving me direction. Mm. So I'm at, I'm at Princeton Theological Seminary, just applied for a PhD. I was so used to getting yeses from God on every scholarship mm. that I applied for. And I was excited. I was nervous, but hopeful for that call to say, you've got this full ride, go get your PhD. And when I got the call, but it was a no, mm. I'm sitting on my bed and I'm crying. 
Like, mm-hmm. God, how could you do this? Like I'm saying, and right. I remember the spirit of God just telling me at that moment, you've been praying and asking for an answer and I'm giving it to you. And that's when I knew that for the moment, the PhD wasn't where God was directing me. I knew it wasn't about a great salary and an easy position. And that is when I sat on that bed in that room and knew that God was calling me to church planting. And it was the hardest um, road to take. Yes, <laughs> um, definitely. Uh, definitely unfamiliar uh, to me, but, but I just knew. I just knew that that was it. And so I decided to take the plunge. And here I am, a church pastor and have had the privilege to, to lead this church uh, for about 12 years. And um, it's a great passion of mine. Yeah, 12 years. That's such a milestone for a church plant. Like, wow, God has totally been faithful, um, even though it wasn't very clear in the beginning. Um, Well, actually, no, I should say that it was very clear, but you had lots of other options that seemed appealing. Um, And I I so admire that um, you speak of God's prophetic voice. Like, I feel like sometimes we just lack the I don't know what it, what it is, but the imagination or like the the faith to really listen in and see those closed doors. It's not just disappointing experiences in our life, but ways that yeah. God is speaking to us. And it sometimes it is very clear, like <laughs> yes, God yes. can be clear when God wants to be. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you also not only advocate church planting as a way to, uh, you know, do what you want to do in terms of serving Latina community, but you want especially other women to church plant as well. And I was wondering where that passion comes from, like why women in particular um, should take up the realm of church planting. Well, I think number one, um, Miriam, would be because I believe God has called both men and women to build his kingdom. Um, And we do this together. Uh, This isn't about men doing it better or women doing it better. Um, God calls us each to serve in our full capacity as gifted leaders. And I mean, from the beginning, that's what God, um, God said, right? Right in the book of Genesis, chapter one, God created humankind in his own image, male and female. He created them that they may rule over. And there's this that they may, right? Humankind, man and woman rule over. Um, all creatures. And so to me, it it becomes super important to allow these little girls and these little boys to be able to see um, men as well as women behind the platform, leading churches, being associate pastors or executive pastors or whatever that may look like. Um, but seeing the full spectrum of both men and women serving in their full gifted capacity. And I believe that God has called both men and women to be pastors, as teachers, as evangelists, as apostles, whatever, whatever that may be. And so that drives me. I, I just, I believe that's the word of God. I believe that's what we're called to. And um, we, uh, we shouldn't be struggling over this issue as much as we do. I believe anyway, as a church, and yet we are oftentimes, I feel like we're still pioneering um, mm-hmm. the way for these young girls um, to see um, women in leadership positions and church planting, because I think church planting becomes 
an opportunity. I think it's a, it probably is an open door for women to be lead pastors. Mm, it's more difficult yes. to get in when it's already an established church. Um, culture has created male lead pastors within that culture of the church. And so um, I think it's an easier door um, mm-hmm. to walk through um, when it is church planting. And so it gives us the opportunity to have more female lead pastors through church planting. And so it's, it's, it's scary because you really start from the ground up in so right. many ways, right. And, and just building your team and, and having the finances and, um, you know, the facilities and everything is from the ground up, but it is an open door for women, um, to lead. And I believe that our, not only our children, but just younger generations, youth need to be exposed, um, to women in these lead pastor positions. And so, um, to me, it's not only a written truth, but I think we need to have it as a lived out, uh, prophetic truth as well. And so uh, that's why I'm passionate about it. And I love uh, to hear about women who are taking that step of faith and becoming church planters. And as much as I'm able to encourage them and and uh, mentor and model uh, to them, it is a privilege. What do you think church planting has given you um, as a Latina, you know, preacher, pastor, like versus, I mean, this is something we'll never know for sure, but um, had you gone to a, another established position at a already established church, like what do you think church planting gave you specifically? Um, you, Adelita um, Garza. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think as I've said, Miriam, I think, you know, part of it is one, I must have been, I think that's why I, I believe that we need male allies. I think we need yes. males who are championing us as women and saying, I believe with you that God has called us both. Um, that's why I'm always so thankful for um, you know, my senior pastor at that time when I was at Ventura First Assembly. Um, he, he had people leave the church when I was hired. Um, I think mm. one, because wow. I was a woman. Second, because I was young. Third, because I was single. And fourth, because I was a Latina. Oh and, man, you hit all the so, targets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, but he was willing to take, um, you know, all of those challenges, all of those hits, all of the losses and say, I believe that God has called us. And he saw potential in, in me as, as a woman, as a young woman. And I am so grateful for those male allies. I really, really am. And, and, um, and so just as much as I think we as ladies need to come together and encourage um, one another of all ethnic groups, um, just the encouragement that's, again, that um, we would have as many men championing us. So for me, um, what helped me, I think number one is that I, I really did have someone um, who believed in me. And so the, the church that I currently uh, pastor and church planted actually began as a small ministry within Ventura for Society. Mm, I see. So we were a small group and we were actually, um, our, our ministry name was Ministerio Puente. So uh, the ministry of, you know, Puente was a small group um, that began to meet together and it began to flourish into something greater. And it was there that we actually started. And when God called 
us to become, quote unquote, an official church, a church that had launched and was now recognized as a church, we moved from Ventura to Santa Paula. So that was our launch as a start. But the support that we had um, from our parent church, from the lead pastor, um, that's a significant part of my story. I have to be so grateful that my first year salary was provided by our parent church. Mm. It gave an opportunity for me to throw myself in fully. And then after one year, we were on our own. So at that point, Mm -hmm. it could have been like a sink or swim type of thing. But God had obviously shown himself to be very faithful. But that's a big part of my story, Mary. So to me, if we can get um, more parent churches that actually support church plans in that kind of way, where you feel like you have this covering spiritually, financially, give you the opportunity where you're not the struggling church planter trying to work full time and church plant. It just makes a huge, a huge difference. And so for me, um, that was a big part of, um, you know, my success and my victories. Um, uh, secondly, is having come in as a, uh, as a female pastor with an education, with mm. an MDiv, um, gave credibility. If, mm. um, so having an education and coming in as a church planter, um, in the eyes of not all, but of some people, it gives you credibility. You know, I, I, I don't like this, but I believe it's true. And that is that we as females don't get the immediate respect. Um, when we say we're lead pastors, we're observed and you've got to prove faithfulness, stability, you know, um, there needs to be some kind of evidence to your, to your, you know, call and it, it, you have to bear fruit for people to really be on board. And so I think education is something that gives you credibility. And so I think that was helpful for me as well as coming in with the education. I think within the Latino community, um, that was important, um, mm. having had that education. And um, I would say third is having had a team that believed in me, like it was already, there was already a team backing you up and saying, we believe in the call. We've seen the fruit that you've had in your ministry. And so that was something else that helped me. I remember at the beginning, literally had somebody new that came to our church. Um, He had been part of another church and immediately came and started to try to divide the church. And it was very evident. And it was because I was a female. Mm-hmm. And um, so having that team became very crucial because of that support um, didn't allow the, that individual to really penetrate through and, and bring that division that I think truly was in his heart. Um, so that, that, that team is, was important to me as well. Mm. So many good points you brought up. Um, your point about education actually reminded me of something our last podcast guest spoke about. Um, but she was saying that she has a PhD in organizational leadership, mm-hmm. but unless she like mentions it in meetings or, you know, new uh, contexts, like people don't really listen to her as much. And I mean, as, as unideal as that is, like it does help to have a degree um, in ministry or whatever field you're working in. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for that practical tip. I think I 
now value my end of education more <laughs> after yeah. having listened to you. I'm just like, yes, that was for something, um, even <laughs> yeah. if it was very hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, men, if you are listening to this podcast, please listen to Adelita. We need you. We yes. need your support and not just, you know, support in words, but financial support, a support to plant a church and have the faith that we can lead. Um, can you repeat the name of your pastor again at Ventura County? Yes, Reverend Tony Cervero. Reverend Tony no, Cervero. Cervero, yeah. He is no longer there at the church. Is, Got it. Um, was a leader in our Assemblies of God uh, denomination, but uh, still definitely a spiritual father to me. Yeah, that's so awesome. Well, I just hope that uh, men listening can take a page from Tony's book. Um, And the fact that he stood up for you, even when the congregation, members of the congregation left because of your uh, presence there is just a testament to, you know, what a male ally could look like. Yes. Um, So switching gears a bit, I I was researching you as a speaker, pastor before this (laughs) interview, just because I hadn't met you before. And I came across um, a kind of an old article I met. It was a 2015 interview you did with Assemblies of God, where you talked about um, how fearful you were at public speaking Mm. as a child. And now you're a pastor that leads a very successful church plant. um, And you have to preach in both Spanish and English. I'm just wondering, how did God transform you into this powerful preacher that you are today? Hmm. Uh, one sermon at a time. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, I definitely was that, uh, that young girl who got extremely nervous uh, every time she went up and spoke. I even just interviews like I'm doing with you, um, Miriam, would freak me out. Um, I remember one interview, just on a side note, I was at Bethany College and so I was young and I knew I was called, but um, I needed to be formed and shaped. And so I decided that I would be a part of a PR uh, group at mm-hmm. Bethany College that would go to different different churches. And I'm sitting in the interview and the director uh, knows that I am a nervous, a nervous person. Mm-hmm. And so... Just, I think she did it for, just for fun. Cause I later talked to her and she did. She says, yes, I just wanted you to be able to let loose and be okay. She's like, can you sing amazing grace to us oh. in this PR group? We were going to be doing some singing and some speaking and stuff. And if you, if anybody would have heard me, they're going to, oh, this child cannot be a part of amazing, <laughs> you know, and I'm just <laughs> nervous as heck. And, and so I laugh about that all of the time. Because I, you know, I think you just really need to know at that point that and believe in your call and that God did speak to you at that moment that you were at that Mm. altar because there were so many times where I could have said that was just my imagination. It was in my head. It wasn't real. Um, But it did. It was just it. It was something that evolved over time. I think most speakers uh, not all. I think most speakers um, initially have this natural gift, this natural charisma. But that really wasn't my case. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, for years I would just get behind the pulpit and my knees would be knocking and my lips were shivering. And But you know what helped, Miriam? I, I must admit, yeah. the thing that helped is when I stopped 
when I stopped worrying or relying on what people thought Mm. about me as a speaker and just began to rely on what God thought of me as a person, as a child, as a called minister, that just brought deep peace to me. And so when I got out of myself, um, Mm -hmm. when I began to say, you know, I don't need the approval of everybody sitting in front of me and um, God, you've called me. I think that really began to build confidence in, in my ability to, to speak and God's way of convincing me that not only was I called, but that the spirit of God was in me and that's what I needed. I just needed to know that the spirit of God lived within me and that I could learn. It didn't need to be a natural gift that I could learn how to depend on the spirit, the word that he had given me, go up with confidence and speak it. And so I think it just really came out of that firm conviction um, Mm. that I, over time, just deepened. And now... I, I believe I'm fully equipped, not because it was natural, but because of the gifts that God has given um, to me and because of the power of the Spirit. And so I still go up every time to speak. Um, I still go up, not nervous, because I'm not nervous anymore, but I do go up very dependent, very mm. dependent on God, um, knowing that I'll fall on my face. Um, if I don't know it's him, uh, if I don't know it's the spirit that is speaking through me. And so that I think over time, just, yeah, having that firm conviction that that is my truth. Wow. Wow. How different would our preaching be if we had that conviction that you described that Alita? I kind of want to go into the pulpit the next time I preach, um, whatever that may be, uh, and just think about, yeah, how would God receive me versus how will these people Um, think of me or, you know, just overanalyze how I look like on the pulpit. It's, it doesn't really matter as long as God is there with you and God has called you. Um, so thank you for that powerful reminder. Now, I just, I I guess I think I would also add to that, Miriam, that doesn't mean that, and even to this day, I listen to my sermons every Mm, time. Wow. (laughs) That is hard to do. I listen, you know, so just. Mm -hmm. Again, you wanting to improve, right? Wanting to make sure you make the connection with your audience. And so I, yeah, I do. I listen to them every week still. So wow. I realize that there is the, yes, you're confident that the spirit of God is in you, has given you this message. And then there's a personal responsibility to say, yes. okay, let's look at it. Let's review it. And what can you learn? How can mm. you keep learning? So, yeah, I'm yeah. curious, what have you learned from watching yourself uh, week in and week out? Do you notice like interesting, like things you say or ways you say things that you've yeah, developed? Yeah. I, let me start out by saying I get excited when I cry and get emotional when I hear myself speak because wow. I'm like, okay, if I felt that, then I can, somebody else's. And so to me, I think part of it is just knowing that the spirit of God was present. Like you, mm-hmm. you spoke and there, if you were moved. And, and so to me, I, I do 
I honestly look for that. Like, you know, God mm. is your spirit speaking or is it Adelita that just goes and says, I got to do this again. And so I got to have some kind of message to deliver. So, um, and so it just becomes that routine. And so I want to begin to say, that's the first thing I really look for is, is the spirit felt? Was there a word from God? And do you know that? Um, secondly, is I think just what I ask God for in my speaking is that it would really, it would be natural. Like it would flow. Um, that I'm not thinking necessarily as I'm going. But there's a flow. And so part of that for me is I know it's the meditation of the word. Like I've internalized it. Like it's a message that is spoken to me. I've internalized it. I, I, I told, uh, um, and this was just the sermon I preached on Sunday. I preached on the vision of our church and, 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 and what that is. And just it was a call and in inviting everyone to be a part of embracing that vision. But I remember when I, I preached the message to myself, like I'll write it and then I'll like literally preach it to myself. Um, and I bawled throughout that entire message. And I said, God, I can't do this on Sunday because I'm going to be a mess and people are going to think I'm crazy. Cause again, it was just so, but for me, it's having those moments before and does that transmit, Mm -hmm. um, to the people. And so in, in watching that video, it's, do you sense that, is there a flow? Um, is it so that internalizing it, it becomes personal. Mm-hmm. It's spoken to you already. Um, and then, and then there's other, you know, there's other things of, am I, am I connected well with a person on media? Did I help mm-hmm. them or, or did I make it difficult for them? Because you realize that those that are watching, you know, online, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what they're. So I look at those things as well, not just the content, but how did we deliver it in all of these different, you know, different aspects. And for me, um, one of the things I've learned is I can, I think that's my natural, my natural tendency is to, when, when I have something that I feel is like from God, I'll lower my voice. Like if the lowering of my voice makes it more powerful. So I had a friend Mm -hmm. once tell me, you can't do that because it doesn't help if they can't hear you. If that's the deep, powerful part that got, you need to make sure it's heard. So I listen Mm. for those things because I can tend to go back and like, and sometimes the intensity of what you feel inside my voice tends to drop. And so looking for even, you know, um, how, you know, my tone variation. And so those kind of things is what I look for. And when I see that I can learn something, you know, from it, sometimes I just look and say, thank you, Jesus. And you move on another time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. hmm, don't do that again. You know, I had, you know, these are small little things, but I, and even right now, um, whoever's listening to the podcast, when it comes out, they're not going to see me visually, but I do can have a tendency to pull my hair back with his finger like this. And I'm like, okay, once you've done that too much, it becomes a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I actually, okay, these are small things and you're like, well, what does the spirit have to do with them? These things, but for me, it's not so much having to do with a spirit and um, move, but the distractions that it causes for people to be right. able to listen. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's even, you know, uh, are my nails half done or are they really done? Um, because I talk a lot with my hands. Mm-hmm. And so either you're going to have them polished, or you're not going to have them polished, whichever it is, but that that would not be a distraction as they're, as they're looking at you or, you know, if I, if my, 
clothing is, is wrinkled of some sort? Is that a distraction? Whatever small thing can be a distraction to somebody. Um, I just, you know, again, looking at, looking at those, those things as well. So I think there's just a lot of different factors that I look at. But. Yeah, those are all so fascinating. You've really convinced me to practice this weekly <laughs> watching of myself as much as I don't like doing that. Um, yeah, like what helpful things and what powerful things you've learned too, even if they seem small on the outside. Um, you really are trying your best to be God's messenger to the people you're preaching to. And I think you brought up an interesting point with the emotion that you are overcome with while you're in the pulpit. Um, like, I think it's almost like we have to have permission to also be emotional and receive God in that way. Um, I think maybe it is sort of like a masculine way of looking at things that you can only preach out of anger or, you know, strong, um, I don't know, manly frustration or whatever, but it's like, no, we can be overcome with tears and receive and preach God in that way. Um, I'm a crier. Mm. I'm a crier, Miriam, and I have given myself uh, really that permission. And sometimes I will say, just if there's new people, I'll just say, I'm a crier, just so that you know, you know, I always have clinics by me, um, just to, you know, just to make sure that I could, you know, wipe them off and and I'm not seeing, um, seeing clearly. But, but yeah, you do. I do think that you have to give yourself, and do you cry in every sermon? Absolutely not. Right. Um, but there are some that impact you more, especially those that are very story-like. Mm. Certain stories that, again, are very heartfelt if they're personal, um, if they're part of somebody else's life in the church that I've been able to see transformed, and it just hits you to the core. Right. Um, but, but yes, God made us emotional, so... Yeah, and wherever the Spirit leads yeah. us, that could be, <laughs> you know, in a display of beautiful tears... Yeah. And we have to thank God for that. Yes. Um, you also have the added opportunity to preach in both Spanish and English mm-hmm. as you lead a bilingual congregation. Can you tell us what's that like um, to prepare sermons in both languages? And is there differences, similarities between the two? I know language just does, um, like the language you preach in definitely impacts, you know, the way it gets received. But just wondering what you had to say. Okay. Um, well. It is different and it's not, um, Miriam. I think for me, let me just talk about how I actually prepare the sermon. Um, yes. Because I, I think, I mostly think in English. My education has been in English. My siblings and I speak in English. My closest friends and I speak in English. So I think mostly in English. And what I read is mostly in English as well. So. I write the message in English. Mm-hmm. Most of the material that I'll read in my studying will be English. So I will write it in English. And then after I write it in English for the Spanish part, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm fluently bilingual, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't want to have double the work. Right. So what I do is I, after I write it in English, or at least have the outline, and I don't manuscript, but I write out enough of it. So then I will go back and I'll translate my main points and whatever's going to be on the screen, because mm-hmm. they need it in both in both languages. Right. And um, after I do that, I will meditate on the sermon, and I'll meditate 
on it in English and then I'll meditate on it in Spanish. And any word that doesn't come to me like immediately in Spanish, because I don't see that as my first language, um, I'll just jot it down in my notes. And so when I'm actually preaching, if I have a hard time, I just got to look down and, and there it is. And so that's just something that's worked for me so I don't have to double up on the work. Um, so most of what you see on paper is in English and it's internalized already. So I just preach it in Spanish uh, and I do, you know, have to look at my notes every now and then, but for those main points and it is translated, those points are translated in Spanish. So um, just something that I've seen uh, works, works for me um, as far as, you know, maybe other some similarities or some differences in terms of maybe how I deliver the message and content. I would say in delivery, Spanish is more a first and second generation Latinos. Mm, um, right. They tend to have more outward expression mm. um, in worship. And then um, also vocally as well. And then saying, you know, amen, or maybe a clap or something in, in response. So that just causes that same response in you when you're preaching. So I would probably say that I am a little more uh, uh, expressive physically and then even with the inflections of my tone um, with the Spanish-speaking congregation versus the English-speaking congregation because they're more assimilated into this Anglo-American culture. And so... Um, they are more third, fourth, fifth generation with um, a few other ethnic um, groups that are part of it. And so um, I tend to go with the response of people. And however, I am naturally, uh, again, nobody watches me, but I speak with my hands all the time, <laughs> constantly moving my hands. And so I move quite a bit. I feel sorry for our videographer who's constantly having to move the camera, <laughs> but um, so that's just a natural part of me. Uh, it's interesting because I've come out of being this really timid young girl to really being uh, full of ex expression. And so, um, and that is all credit to God, really. And so it's hard for me to change. I am mm -hmm. who I am, but I, I do respond to the audience, to the hearers of the message as well. And so I would say that's, uh, that would be a, a difference. Um, I would say something that's helpful in having both a Spanish and an English congregation is I like to use um, illustrations, mm, whether yes. that is story of myself or people within the congregation. And so something that I notice that I do is that if it is a story of somebody that's in process, I will share it with the opposite congregation. I always ask for permission. Like I always get permission to share their story. Right. But I think when you're in the process, there's still maybe a bit of uh, discomfort exactly. if you're sitting there. And so if it's someone from the Spanish congregation, I'll share it in the English congregation. And it's still somebody from our church, um, but they're not there. If mm -hmm. it is a story of somebody um, that I can mention their name because it's not a process anymore, they that they've you know, they've overcome, there's this point of celebration, victory, then I share it in the congregation and we celebrate together. 
And so it's nice to have these two different congregations because you can actually, you know, have these stories that are shared both in process and then also stories that have already been, you know, overcome. And um, so that's what I tend to notice in my sharing story of individuals. I am story of myself. Well, that just kind of, I always have to pray and say, okay, what can I share and what can't I just because you really want people. It's really important for me um, that the congregation sees me as being very human Mm -hmm. and in, I'm not a superwoman, and I am no different um, than they are. And they're all ministers in our church. And, um, and our, our vision really has to do with healing and restoration living in a community that is a community of improving lives, improving families, seeing healing and restoration, depth, you know, deliverance of, you know, certain issues that they are, uh, they're, they're dealing with. And so um, to be as human as I can with them and be as vulnerable and open as we want to create within our own congregation. And so that's why those kind of stories become so important um, to us as a church, as we continue to, create this atmosphere of safety and openness and vulnerability. Uh, so, yeah, that's what yeah. I would say. And I can really tell from all the stories you shared about yourself today that you are a very gifted storyteller um, and also respectful, too, of other people's stories. Like, you, I think you go above and beyond what we're taught in Divinity School, at least, about telling other people's stories and that you don't share other people's stories in the congregation if they're still processing that. And that's yeah. something that we can make conscious decision too, if we would want to. I was wondering, um, since our time is kind of wrapping up, do you have any last words or advice for other women of color, um, especially Latina preachers to be who may be struggling in finding their preaching voice or perhaps church planting uh, or thinking about church planting? Since those are two things we talked about a lot today. (laughs) I would like to encourage, you know, the women who are listening um, to this podcast, number one, is we all will doubt at some Mm. point or another our call. It's our own human nature to doubt. Plus, we have all these other external voices that will speak to us in a negative way. denying our call instead of affirming it. And so I would want to encourage you and say that it's ultimately your full confidence in God and that he has called you. You got to return back to that moment. My moment is at altar as a 16 year old. I go back there often and say, I know you called me. I know my brain wasn't fully even developed at that time, but there was something, <laughs> there was something about that moment and that call. So I just encourage uh, you ladies to, to go back to that place that you knew that you knew that you knew that God had, had called you, whether you are in full-time ministry, you are in part-time ministry, you are a volunteer at a church, just as a woman called by God, whatever, whatever that may be. And in any, um, when I am getting ready, to take a new step of faith, I will always envision myself, and I encourage you, I always envision myself, I'm Peter on the boat, and Jesus has just said, walk on water. Mm-hmm. Jesus being there, ready to take him by the hand, and something supernatural happens. 
Wow. And so I just always imagine myself, yes, I'm afraid, but Jesus is right there. It is scary, but I can cross this um, water. And I don't like water. I think that's why it's important. I've, I've drowned. Uh, I've almost drowned. Not drowned because I'd be dead. But I've almost, I've almost drowned a couple of times. I don't like water. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that story is so significant to moments of taking leaps of faith and believing and what God has called me to as a woman. And so whatever biblical story, whatever passage of scripture that you hold on to, take it to heart. Let it be one of your mottos that you stand by and let God speak to you through it every time. Um, even today, there's not moments I doubt my call, but there's moments that I doubt I can do this that God is calling me to. Mm. And so um, let's be women of faith. Let's grow in Let's have, let's be faith-filled leaders. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable and um, sharing your doubts too, Adelita. And for reminding us that everyone has doubts. Like I had no idea that, um, like in my head, I guess I think that, but for you to admit that, you know, on screen, I know listeners can't see the screen, but for you to admit that to me was just so reassuring and such a relief. And again, like um, just another affirmation of like my calling and so many other people who are listening to this podcast as well. I'm sure they're calling as well. Um, thank you for this conversation. It was such a gift yeah. to hear about um, your journey, your really transformational journey of that shy, <laughs> you know, PR <laughs> representative yeah. to the powerful preacher and pastor you mm. are today and only with God's grace, right? Yes. Yes. Um, completely. Yes. Thank well, you thank so much. Thank you, Miriam, for having me on. Uh, thank you, Isaac, for this opportunity. Yes. And I am I am blessed to be a part and to all the women that are listening, let's do this together. Yes, thank you so much. If you'd like to support Isaac in producing this podcast or our overall mission of supporting AAPI and Latina women ministers, you can donate to Isaac at isaacweb.org.